Welcome back to the Unanimous Decision Podcast. I'm your host, Palm. Follow me on Twitter at dpalm66. Follow the show on Twitter at UDPod. Follow the entire MTR Network at, you guessed it, the MTR Network. You found us. Don't lose us. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe everywhere your podcasts are given away for absolutely free 99. Leave those five-star review on iTunes. I will read it on the air, no matter what you say about me or the teams that I love. Now. It has been a while. It's been a hectic fall, personally, professionally, and obviously as we look outside at the walls and of democracy still barely standing around us. I laugh, but I'm telling the truth. Um, it's good to be back in front of the microphone, and we're going to start off today doing something we don't ever do on this podcast, and that's talk politics. At some point in the last 40 years, politics stopped being politics, and they started becoming team sports, and to the point where people didn't or they intellectually knew that the results would not be done on Tuesday. The entire world was eating themselves alive because they didn't know what was going to happen on Tuesday. Um, we've got a lifelong friend of mine on today. Uh, the homie Mike is back. We're going to talk NBA. We're going to talk all the things going on in sports. But first and foremost, um, Mike, as a native of Georgia, are you feeling blue? I didn't expect this. Yeah, I mean, we just – you know, election after election kept inching closer. I never thought we'd actually get over the hump, especially this year. And yet, here we are. It's and at the time of recording, this recording is like three o'clock on Sunday. I believe we're um, Biden's up around ten thousand votes in Georgia right now. I and and there's so many things that people point to, so many factors that people who aren't from Georgia kind of have been pointing out. And they're largely true. There's been a large demographic shift. There's jobs that come down here. You've had um, large swaths of employees and, and companies from New York and other more liberal, we'd say enclaves, if you will, moving down to Atlanta and kind of entrenching themselves here. Also, because of the reverse gentrification that occurred in the mid-2000s when white people decided they wanted to be back in the city, they flushed black people out of the city and into these surrounding counties. And, like, you look at some of these counties that turned, it's very funny, like, uh, Stephen Satterfield, he's been on the podcast, uh, uh, high school classmate of ours. He mentioned to me, he's like, yo, I have to reconsider my emotional relationship with Cobb and Gwinnett County. Because <laughs> we grew up in an era where, like, Gwinnett County now, they're like the Migos. And I'm like, really? Like, the Gwinnett County that you and I grew up in, grew up around, or at least interacting with, is not the Gwinnett County that goes blue for Joe Biden. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an adjustment, especially Cobb. Especially Cobb's Cobb. a big one. Well, Cobb broke for Hillary by, by like two percent, and then it went for Biden by thirteen. And for those who don't know Cobb County, ask anyone from Atlanta about Cobb County cops. If they're a person of color, you will have five stories about being harassed by Cobb County cops. Mike's in two of mine. Facts. So like. I'm not, and not just, this is not just happening at the top of the ticket. They elected new sheriffs in Cobb and Gwinnett, first black sheriffs ever. It's very weird. And like, I live in DeKalb, and like, that was going black. Like, DeKalb's DeKalb. But then you look wider, and like, I implore you, find someone in your life who knows about Georgia and ask them about Forsyth County. Yeah, I had to uh, refresh the page on that one to make sure I was reading it correctly. And I tweeted this, and I didn't tweet this for, like, sympathy or anything, but the very first place I had a Confederate flag waved at me in an aggressive manner was Forsyth County in a wrestling tournament when I was 14. 
like <laughs> Forsyth County going blue is, and, and yes, this happened all over the state. This is because of both grassroots organizers and the organizers' names you know, including but not limited to Stacey Abrams. Um, for the record, as we sit here today, Stacey Abrams has already helped raise $3.6 million in two days for the Georgia City runoffs. Like, like Stacey Abrams is a motherfucking monster, but it's also people working in these smaller communities all over the state. And that's why, like, things like Henry County going blue happened. <laughs> like, I had to have you on because I needed to be able to say those words and have it make impact with someone else. Yeah, I mean... I cannot believe this, especially considering the guy who rigged the election to make himself governor is still governor, and he's chosen Secretary of State who runs elections. Despite would all you, of that, we're it here. Would it easier to let her win the governorship? <laughs> she you know? In two years, she registered over 800,000 voters in the state of Georgia. She made people believe their voices mattered. And if there's one thing that the results of Georgia can tell you is that everyone's voice actually mattered. We're going to two Senate runoffs that could decide the Senate. It's about to be a goddamn nightmare here for the next six weeks. Like, I have accepted these facts and I'm moving on with my life. She did the work, man. You can they wallow did the work. In. And for everyone who wants to, to, to parachute in now and, and I know the celebrity endorsers or people like Andrew Yang's like, I'm moving to Georgia for the next three months. And I'm like, just don't like, just we clearly things are working here. Like we kind of got why this we take advice from people like him who didn't really campaign well. Andrew, Andrew Yang, every time Andrew Yang says something on television and those people hype it up. I just say, and this is why he did so well in the primary. Oh, wait. No, 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 he didn't. Um, let's keep talking about politics and sport because, Mike, as an Atlanta fan, I have many stop the count moments in my life. I understand the appeal of being like, why can't we just stop playing right now while I'm winning? But to see the man who currently occupies the highest office in the land try to employ like sports wish logic to voting. <laughs> well, I mean, it's probably the least outlandish thing I've seen this year. <laughs> to be fair, like it's also a new one. It's like, all right, that was a new one. Like it's one thing to know intellectually that he's always going to show them the results once he's losing, but it's another thing to watch him do it from the office of the presidency. It's like he also did the very like weird sports thing where you like try to pull out something good to reaffirm like how great of a politician you are or whatever. So like, well, I, I shattered Obama's record and I have this many votes. And it's like, well, still not as many as the other guy, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> it's, it is a, uh, it is interesting to see how you got to pick up your wins. You know, you got to get them where you get them. Um, and I I'm think like, still Atlanta sports fan PTSD where I'm like, can I, can I celebrate? Like, is it over, over? Like, is this, are we good? I, I, I thought it was over come Wednesday when I saw some of the PA counties that were turning. I was like, okay, we're going to get this eventually. It's going to take a while. Um, But yeah, I, I, I don't know if celebration, right? Like it's for me, it's almost like, Oh, I didn't realize I was holding my breath for four years. It's like, <laughs> I'm too tired to be excited. It's just like, Oh, well that was exhausting. And this is so much better. Like, 
to pick up the phone, to pick up my phone on Monday morning, knowing that I'll be greeted with the announcement of Joe Biden's transition team and or coronavirus task force. Like, that gives my soul pause. I heard scientists used in a positive manner, and I was almost taken aback. What is this? I don't understand. <laughs> I promise you guys, this is not what it's going to be. We're going to talk about more things than this, but it'd be weird. It'd be dishonest. It'd be empty for me not to, one, discuss the election, and two, discuss how my hometown has played such a weird integral part and is going to be the focus of this shit for the next eight weeks. And, like, as that's dawning on me. And, like, there's no – that's the thing that I'm trying to impress people. There's no other Senate race. Every dollar left in these Republican and Democratic coffers is about to get poured into Georgia. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to all these horrible television ads I've had to watch. Yo, did you past. see Warnock's first ad? Yeah, yeah. I mean – Love it. <laughs> um, take some time. Um, this is one of those podcasts. Google it. Um, but Ralph Warnock's first um, – ad for the runoff is mocking the negative ads that he knows are coming from Leffler. And we've talked ad nauseum about what a deplorable human being Kelly Leffler is and how excited I am to watch her lose any sort of, but the, but also the fact that I know that she can personally finance this campaign. Right. Like, and not, and have it not really like it'll shake out like when they do the books, but she won't notice it. There's not like, the food options are going to change in her home because she's financing this campaign. No, 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 no. Yeah, she, she'll she's not this out. in the belt. To, no, she'll to find donate. this out down the line. And she's like, wait, where did that extra 200? Oh, okay. That was that thing. Yeah, that was a waste. Anyway, she's decided to waste the money. And hopefully we can get Ossoff and Warnock into the Senate to settle Senate majority. And um, Grinder, Rich McConnell. Mitch McConnell, the only thing that Mitch McConnell gives me hope about is that someone punched Rand Paul. <laughs> like, no matter how many times he's getting reelected, someone had enough of his shit where they put hands on him. And I've got and to like, think there's an aggrieved neighbor of Mitch McConnell who every day gets a little bit angrier. Like, uh, Paul still has to see that guy when he's home. Yo, they are. That's his neighbor. <laughs> his next door neighbor hit him and all I'm saying is Mr. McConnell's neighbor when you do what you have to do we salute you and thank you as a nation I'll throw something down on the bail I'll help him out um, let's talk about sports Mike is that okay uh, I guess let's talk let's about sports so this month, the NHL draft occurred, and I know you didn't know that, and that's okay. But an interesting story came out of it, and I promise it's interesting, because the Arizona Coyotes took in the first round of the NHL draft a player uh, who's 18 by the name of Mitchell Miller. He is now playing um, hockey at University of North Dakota. And the reason they renounced the pick is it came to light that when he was 14, this player had bullied and racially taunted a, a, another child at his school in Ohio. Ugh. The club cut him. For, hold on. No, the club renounced the number one draft pick, cut him, and apologized to the family. 
And I think what gets like, what gets me is that not only that this happened, like that's a whole other thing. Like it's crazy this is occurring. The fact that the team felt the need, you know, because like a lot of teams, we've seen a lot of shit in a lot of other sports, including but not limited to like racist speech by the current um, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills and his backup who played at Georgia. Um, like these players say and do deplorable things and we kind of like shrug and move on. Like if they're talented enough, first round draft pick, clearly you're talented enough. And the Coyotes are like, now nah, we're good. Yeah, I mean, I am surprised and impressed. I mean, I, I kind of want to know what the internal conversation was. So we, we got to, we've got a slight window into that. Thanks for transitioning me here. Because the Coyotes on the Monday after the pick said they doubled down saying, in quote, part of the statement said, the team's responsibility is to be part of the solution in a real way, not just saying and doing the right things to ourselves, but ensuring that others are too, which is kind of an empty, meaningless quote. Um, but then, like, social media and actual media came after them for this. It, oh. it, it, it was wild. It, it, it I, I don't know. It's the same. It, they chose this player a month after the president of the Coyotes and CEO, uh, Xavier Gutierrez, was named to the NHL's Ex- Executive Inclusion Council, a group that the league said will focus on combating racism and fostering diversity. Like, this is – and this is – it's not – MLB, it's not even MLB. It's it's not in it's not NBA. This is the NHL, and they said part of the thing was that he's never apologized to the kid. Like even the kid's mother was like, we didn't want him to lose his job or anything, but we just honestly just wanted an apology. And he's still, and now they said it's too late for that, which it clearly is, and it should be. <laughs> he could have just apologized. Like how hard is that? The team <laughs> apologized. The team was like. The team, after going through everything, said, look, Mitchell's a good hockey player, but we need to do the right thing as an organization and not this as a hockey team. I'd like to apologize to Isaiah and the Meyer Crothers family for everything they've dealt with the past few months. I wish them all the best in the future. The mother said that she was six years old when she found out the, a young man was cut, but he still has not personally apologized for her son or her family. And, of course, this all de- it devolves into that family getting threats from other hockey families in this small town in fucking Ohio because everything has to end up being the worst thing ever, right? Was he removed from his uh, college team as well? Well, I guess it doesn't I think, really matter. I mean, I don't think so, but honestly, he's playing for free, <laughs> which is, yeah. I'm not suggesting that the un, the inequities inherent in NCAA sports should some way be poured out on this kid, but if there's one place I'm going to shrug, I found a place to shrug. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we recently were talking about what the Clips were going to do next. If you don't remember, first of all, great. I get to do this again. The Clippers went 3-1 on the Nuggets and then subsequently took leads in three straight games and blew all three leads. Like, it's some epic meltdown shit, and it's still the high watermark for the franchise. So they fired Doc Rivers, which was probably their idea, and, and they decided to go in-house, elevate first assistant, Tyron Lue to the head job. He will now be um, taking over the reins of the Clippers as they try to figure out how to make Paul George and Kawhi Leonard work as they both head into the last year of their guarantee to be on that team. And Mike, um, Tyron Lue's got a ring. He's, he's one of those coaches who you know is going to stand up to a large personality. But I don't know if large personality is the problem in that locker room. Uh, no. <laughs> who's, who's a large personality? I was about to say, is it? Because – 
like part of it's the fact that like open secret, no one respects Paul George. Right. Well, <laughs> and like now things are coming out from behind the scenes. So now they've got Patrick Beverly. Um, there's a report out that Patrick Beverly, Montez Harrell, and Lou Williams were among Clippers players who bristled at Kawhi being allowed games off for load management and to live in San Diego, causing him to be late for team flights. Like that's always the fun part is when like the, the dirt seeps out, but Tyron Lou, the thing that made him different in Cleveland was that he could look LeBron in the face and tell him what to do. And LeBron said, all right, man, I got this. There's no, like, he, he doesn't have to not break. He doesn't have to impose his will on Kawhi Leonard. No one believes in Paul George. Is this going to be just a reheated version of a team that just disappointed? Or, I don't know. Like, I mean, Tyron Lue, he's getting his money. Good for Tyron Lue. I always thought he deserved another shot after getting the, um, the, the Cleveland after the greatest comeback of all time. It's amazing the only coach who gets credit for coaching great players is uh, Phil Jackson. Anyway, um, like Frank Vogel did a great job this fall. I don't know what to tell you. Do we think the the Clippers have the pieces and it's just a chemistry thing? Okay, so I don't. And I think I'm alone in that because remember last year, everyone was like, oh, the Clippers. I'm like, but they don't have size and they don't have anyone who creates off the dribble. Like, Kawhi no, I, and Paul George are great players, but, like, who's who's making things happen for everyone else? I don't see how, like, they'd have to shoot lights out to – to beat the Lakers. And that's the thing is that the Lakers, and this is what I said last summer, and I'm going to keep ringing my own bell on this one. I thought the paradigm shift of everyone else going small and the Lakers being like, well, what if we've just got more big people than you do? <laughs> right. And, and a big person that was like, well, I guess we wouldn't know what to do about that. Like, that's what we thought. We're going to beat you up. And it worked. And it's like, it's the ziggy when everyone's zagging. Everyone's chasing that. And that's I, I hate repeating myself, but as opposed to chasing that Warriors paradigm where, hey, look, it's dependent on all this shooting, but the, the wrinkle there is that one of those shooters is the greatest shooter of all time. And the other is an amazing, you know, rare. He's, he is shooter. the 3D guy. Right. He, he is the prototype for 3D. And so, like, when those two are your principles, yeah, you can do that. When you're, I don't know, pick a team, the Rockets, it's less effective. You can't model after the exception to the rule. Like it, it doesn't work. And it's and what's so funny is that this turned into like just our dad's basketball being right. If you're bigger and you play good defense, you can win. Like, well, yeah, I guess that does kind of seem to track. Dad ball won a ring this year. I'm glad it was still possible, honestly. It brings a lot of light into my life. But also the fact that Let's talk about the Clippers. I don't, you're right. The pieces don't look there to me. I don't know how they get the pieces. I think Montrose Hero cost himself a lot of money in that um, bubble. But well, they don't have, like, the cap space to do anything, do they? I thought they made no. all their – spent all their capital and draft picks well, on – that's if they bring back Hero at the, mid, at the mid-level. Hmm. It's going to be – that's going to be super interesting – Another thing that happened out west was Daryl Morey stepped down from being on the GM of the Clipper of the Rockets, excuse me, team president, not GM, and he ended up saying, "Oh, I'm taking some time off. Uh, my kids are taking a gap here, spend time with the family," which was a lie because two weeks later he announced that he'd be headed to the Sixers in the same capacity. 
and what's been really fun about watching the Sixers do this and fun, I don't know if that's the right, right word, but they've kind of built this front office in a strange way because they had Elton Brand. They gave him the extension as GM. Then they hired Doc Rivers. And then they hired the team president. Yeah. It's either going to work spectacularly or it's going to fall apart spectacularly, which I don't think Philadelphia from a – from a, 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 a reputational standpoint, can really withstand. You got to remember the last GM there was Brian fucking Calandula. Yeah, that's true. It ended over Twitter fingers. Burner account. And then, oh, then we're talking about Sam Hinkie. The process, which has resulted in. How long do we trust it? <laughs> almost in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like it's it's very strange that, for as someone who likes mess. Yeah, let's see what we can do with Ben and Embiid. Because even if you're talking about trying to trade Ben Simmons for uh, James Harden, which is one of the rumors that are out there right now, you've got to remember that Harden, or excuse me, that uh, Westbrook and Embiid don't like each other. So you can't even make that deal where you send Harden to Philly for Embiid. Do you think that? So knowing what we know about Daryl, and I, I don't think the stylistics decisions of the last year were necessarily his cup of tea because you look how it started with Yao, building around you, Yao Ming. Do you think Daryl would rather – do you think Moore is going to keep these two, or is there more value in trying to get – try to dislodge James Harden? And if you're Houston, what have you won with James Harden? But I mean, all right, so he already had, you know, the Rockets for a number of years with Harden and building around that. So was he going to just like, okay, well, we tried building this way. Let me just uh, snatch him from Houston, this new franchise, and try to build a whole different way and see if that works. I mean. I, look, I agree with you. I'm just saying that when he left Houston, it, part of his going away speech was naming, singling out, and calling out James Harden and that, the impact he had on his life, not just as a basketball player, but as a friend. He said that. Well, you know. <laughs> That's some high so praise. Like, you don't gonna, just say that shit. So you just kind of like chase the Lakers model now and try to keep him be a big who can shoot from outside and, you know, be in the low post and have Harden, who's killer from the perimeter. The trick I is mean, to try I, to get rid yeah. of that Tobias Harris and Al Horford contracts. That's going to be well, his The first, trick right? is to try to get, to get a better defense. but uh, Or make Ben Simmons shoot know. basketball. At least attempt. Oh, you got to try uh, it. I don't know. I mean, you know, you're taking people who have had some success, but not like most recently not the success their franchises want. So, you know, Doc's been a good coach. He's won a ring in Boston. Had the Clippers as good as the Clippers have been. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know what to expect. You know, is it just going to be more of the same with just, you know, different pieces? Or are they going to, you know, reevaluate things and take into account, you know, the shifting NBA style of play and actually uh, put something new together? It's going to be fun to watch no matter what, because either it's going to be like, oh, the the Rockets got taken for a ride and da da da, da or it's going to be Darren Moore swindled two franchises out of a lot of money. So I'm willing to laugh no matter what. Um, Latest out of NBA looks like the start date of December 22nd, which seemed to be a negotiating tool at first. 
by the team, by the uh, the league with the player association. Looks like it might come to fruition. Uh, the the players who were, had the most to say about it, LeBron James and the guys who played deep into the postseason, apparently have been shown numbers to say that, you know, hey, this just seems like it might work the best. It's good for all their cable partners because TNT gets ring night, being the 22nd that Tuesday, and then their network television partners will get the Christmas Day games they're so accustomed to the um, after all these years. Are you excited for December 22nd? Because it is November 8th. <laughs> I mean, look, bubble basketball was amazing and, like, way better than 40 games and 40 nights. I mean, but it was so soon. It's so soon. Uh, I feel like all the bubble teams are going to be beat up, whereas, you know, the teams that have been resting and rehabbing and all that since uh, the spring are going to be – you know, ready to go. Like so. The so the Warriors? rumor, the rumor is seventy-two games. I'm starting with oh. twenty-second. It's going to be a sprint. But if so, they, but they haven't announced the schedule yet. So here's my idea: if you get a lot of those teams that haven't played a bunch, you front load those on back-to-backs. You front load those on 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 like uh, regional road trips where you knock out like three or four games in five nights just to get them out of the way because of COVID. Because there's not going to be a traditional bubble. Is that a way that you can kind of make up or make like, – and then, I don't know, have everyone play more balanced schedule down the stretch? I think you're right. Like, I, that's a, like a mental concern of mine of saying, like, you just asked these guys to do a lot of stuff, but there's a bunch of guys who have not picked up basketball since March. Well, if you front load the teams that haven't played and then the teams that have get on the other end, you know, it's right before playoffs, so I don't know if that's the best. But, but, if, you, but if you're in decent position, you can coast those anyway. True. Uh, do we know like when the playoffs would be? Like seventy-two games. For, right. They're aiming for the regular window. I've got to be because. Wait, 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 wait. So we're taking off. Well, is it two months or one and a half months of? I guess it's like two months of the normal schedule and still doing the same number of games or ten less. Ten games. fewer. Hmm. All right. I mean, get that money. Is, this, but. They're, they're, I think they're going to drop the all-star break. They're building in a one-week um, off for all teams, I think, just to kind of have a COVID build-in. And I think there's also going to be – like, it's probably going to be a window a little bit later than usual, but they're probably aiming for that, like, like around there. I think that's going to be the target. It's I mean, honestly, the, the most interesting part is going to be how they deal with COVID. I mean, well, mm-hmm. you know, new administration, new COVID rules – likely going to be stricter. We don't know what that's going to do. And then even if that weren't a thing, without a bubble and with these teams, you know, playing all over the country, plus whatever happens with the Raptors, like mm. how do they reschedule games if people get COVID or if, you know. And the only, the only thing win. I'll say is because they handle the bubble so well, I know that they'll have a plan, unlike the NFL, who literally makes it up every week. Yeah, I think they'll be thoughtful about it, but. It'll still and, be. And interesting I think as far as the new, the new policies, I don't think we're going to see anything that's going to come that's going to be blindside the NBA because we know they've had people in all those rooms because that's how they're able to pull up the bubble. Because they have the eater and the people who are going to make those decisions. So at least they'll know and be able to formulate a plan built around that. So I think that's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be, I think it's promising. I, I, I'm choosing the air on the side of hope for the NBA right now, if only because they did it once and yeah, it won't be as controlled as before but they've shown me they can do it and they've shown me they can be thought like you said thoughtful about it 
tangent question. Do we know what uh, the WNBA is doing? You know, usually have those players, you know, leave the country and play overseas. That's a great, and that's a great question. Well, I'm going to Google this right now. We're seeing uh, what they're saying right now. Um, I will say, selfishly, you know, I would be happy to have basketball back on TV. Uh, it's been a little boring lately, uh, sport-wise for me. So I'll I'll take December. I love those Christmas is, games. <laughs> that's that is true. Selfishly, yes, bring it back. Not so selfishly, like ah, I get they need the money. They need the money. Like we're not getting uh, put feet in the uh, butts in the seats. I think they negotiated 20% of the uh, your, your salary this year is going to escrow to help pay for things for the league for each player, which was either going to be four. I think it was going to be either 40 this year or 20 over the next two. And you know, there's some players like a Donovan Mitchell who's making seven million dollars this year. Who's like, yeah, take my take 40 this year. I'm making 27 next year. Don't take my 20 then. But uh, <laughs> right. Do we know uh, what's the arena plan? Are they letting fans in or? I think they're going to local ordinances, but I think the, the starting point is no fans. Or they might do, like, um, I think there's rumors of, like, sweet fans or, like, stuff like that. But, like, as far as, like, in the stands, I don't think there's going to be a possibility. Oh, all right. As long as you're taking it seriously. Like that, and that's my thing is as long as you're being considerate and you're taking this seriously and you're, you're doing literally the best you can, I have no problem with it. When I start having problems with things like, I don't know, the Dodgers winning a fucking World Series. And for those of you who don't watch baseball, God bless you, because this story broke through my non-baseball bubble. Justin Turner is one of those guys. And by those guys, I mean, like, not great players, but kind of the heart and soul type of guys. And it's rumors it could be his last season. The Dodgers might let him go, but he's like a locker room leader. And in the eighth inning of the deciding game, he tested for COVID. And you're saying, wait, Deep Palm, that's a goddamn weird time to throw a test. You're right. It is. He tested earlier that day. He had a, a positive test, but because of the baseball rules they put in place, he's supposed to have two positives before they pull him. The second positive did not come back until the eighth inning. Now, I know what you're thinking, but Deepal, we know this disease is communicable even without positive tests or symptoms. You're right. Should he not have been immediately isolated at the time of the first positive test and then moved forward? Yep. Should maybe the MLB have said we're going to postpone our World Series to figure out what's going on with this infection? Hold your fucking horses. Now, that's where the money starts getting affected, and that's why oh. Justin Turner was still on the field in the eighth inning. We good? Good. Now, he watches the last two innings from a TV in a doctor's office, and the Dodgers win, and everyone's excited, and he goes back on to the field no mask a mask kissing his wife hugging his boys and the argument i keep hearing is they just won a title and i didn't know covid respected trophies like that it's news to me Uh, it's just, you know, I'd be real pissed if I was a teammate or anyone involved in baseball, that baseball game, and got sick. I'd be pissed. But Mike, but Mike what if his teammates were like, hey, come on, man, get out of there. Come on, get to the field. We, if Don't. we're exposed, we've already been exposed. Come on out of here, which is things that they said. Don't care at all. 
You're you right. Think every single one of them actually believe that. <laughs> and wear a mask, at least. Well, if you had any faith in Rob Manford having a backbone, you're wrong. He will be giving out no punishments to either the team or the player for this egregious breach of pandemic protocol. And I say pandemic protocol because I want to remind everyone listening to this. We are in the midst of a pandemic with no known cure. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, I'm I'm young and spry and I don't feel the effects. Well, let's talk about Raquel Armstead. You say to yourself, who's that? And Rutgers fans say, hey, Armstead, I know that guy's name. He was the running back decided to take over for Leonard Fournette when he left the Jaguars. He has not been on a football field all season. He's in this, he's had two trips to the hospital and has now been deemed not able to play for the rest of the year. He's still battling symptoms. I bring him up to tell you he is this. He's a 23-year-old NFL running back. And this thing has damn near killed him. Not hyperbole. Just pointing out that we cannot assume how you're going to react to this stuff. And I point that out to point this out, because this is the first week that the Pac-12 was supposed to have football, Mike. Mike, do you remember what the Pac-12, when they originally came out, they said, we're not going to play until we deal with uh, 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 the, the financial inequality and we need to deal with the racial inequality and that, and it needs to be safe for us to play. Wait, did I did I miss the news that they figured all that out and fixed it? Oh, no, 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 The children folded. They had to fold. And I said this before on the podcast. I do not blame them for folding. It just breaks my heart that they had to. Because in, in the negotiations for the ability to put, off these games, they put in very strict protocols. One of those protocols says that you have to have at least 53 scholarship players to compete. Arizona and Utah was canceled. Washington and Cal, canceled. And how many of those players who got it are going to be your Warcall Armsteads, whose name you'll never know? You only know his name because I brought it up today. How about these kids who are not paid? Because you receive zero cents, zero dollars, who make these schools money, who are only out there because they need that TV revenue. Well, he didn't die. Cool. So what's the line? How sick he got to get? We don't. We don't even know. Uh what the effects are at this point. I mean, we know some of them, but, you know, it's the novel coronavirus. This isn't a thing that we've had to deal with before. And this assumption that athletes, because they're, you know, in shape and healthy and young or whatever, aren't going to have to deal with it that badly. Not true. You see example after example of that. Yo, kids are dying. Like, kids die. Like, they had the basketball player died in, in the Carolinas. Like, this is happening. But they don't cover it because why would you cover that? You've got to focus on the most of it, the good news. Trevor Lawrence, quarterback for Clemson. The reason why the Jets are as bad as they are, I'm convinced it's got to be on purpose. No one's that bad. <laughs> He's got COVID. He's out two weeks. 
They squeak out a game against BC. They lose yesterday against Notre Dame. And the question I hear back is, how does this affect their playoff standings? Hey, man, is Trevor Lawrence going to be okay? How's he feeling? Is he symptom-free yet? And it goes to the NFL because you look at players who had starts of the season that were somewhat impressive. Cam Newton, he goes down with COVID. Step slow. So that brain cloud that everyone warns about. Like, Ezekiel Elliott has always had problems filming the football, but he looks bad this year. And yeah, the, run, the, the, the offensive line's a turnover. But I don't see that burst from Zeke. And we know he had COVID. We also know these are football players who are designed not to tell you when they're hurt, who are designed not to tell you that anything would keep them from being 110%. So you believe as long as they're not on the list, hey, we should be good to go, baby. You're treated like a sprained ankle. If you're on the field, you've got to be able to go. I gave you the name of an NFL player who will not play a snap this season because of this disease. Mathematically, how many college players is that? I'm talking about one player out of 32 teams, out of a 53-man roster in those 32 teams, knowing that these, in, these NCAA rosters are hundreds of kids. Mathematically, how many kids is that? And why isn't that too many? Okay, is it too many with the, if both the kids are your kids? And I'm doing like a modified trolley problem because the good on the other side isn't killing more people or killing fewer people. It's just saying, hey, we got to figure out these checks. <laughs> it's not life or death. It didn't have to be. But you decided the checks were. Right? Am I, tell, me if I, tell me if I'm way off base. No, not at all. I mean... What has, you know, really changed pandemic-wise in the last few months since? It's gotten worse. Right. That's what's changed. It's gotten worse. We're halfway through the NFL season. It's gotten worse. It's not just gotten worse because of people like Cam, people like Zeke. The Falcons decided to start trying because why the fuck not? Why not stab me in the eyes of betrayal? We could have had a decent draft pick, but no, we're going to maybe make the playoffs. What a stupid, stupid, shitty team. I hate you, Falcons. I hate you to death. Um, I mean, everywhere to that, too. <laughs> I am so goddamn irritated. Um, the Jets, this story broke in the last 24 hours, wrapped up in the election news. The New York Jets, I, someone discovered cameras in their locker room. Players were not aware of the camera's existence. The NFLPA reached out to the league about the issue, and they received a direct response. The organization will be checking to see if the cameras violate the CBA, and if they do, action will be taken. They strongly believe, the league believes that the cameras, the facility which has had the cameras since 2008, do not break any rules. Wow. Okay. <laughs> they also say they didn't break any rules in the CBA, and then they also broke no New Jersey laws. If you've got to clarify I didn't break any laws, guess what probably happened? Something wrong. Yeah. You hear that shit on the Predator, man? I didn't break any laws? Like, what? 
Yeah, not not breaking any uh, rules doesn't make it right. Uh, do you think the players are going to be happy with the franchise? <laughs> Man, would they ever? It's the fucking Jets. Why would they be happy? Well, less less angry. <laughs> and you bring up a great point. You bring up a great point. Because why would anyone trust this organization? And I turn now to Tampa Bay. And they've been very impressive this year. Tom Brady has proven me wrong about a lot of shit. A lot of talent around him doing good things. Mike, they brought back Antonio Brown. They brought back back Antonio Brown after that head coach said there's no way Antonio Brown ever play here. And then when it happened, he said, and I quote, Tom Brady had nothing to do with this. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so we know how do I I know for a fact that this is Tom Brady's doing? Do you know where Antonio Brown's living in Tampa Bay? (laughs) Hmm. Pretty sure it's at uh, Tom's house. Giselle must be thrilled. Antonio Brown, for those who've lost track, is a reprehensible human being. Um, he's fantastically talented. I'll make that very clear. As far as on the field, a fantastically talented human being. But he has had such a litany of issues off the field involving violence and disrespect towards women, children, um, not paying debt. Like it's, 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 yeah, I pleading no contest to felony battery and burglary charges. Like what? And the, the buck said, we look like we're good. No, make us great. This here, Antonio Brown problem. And that's what he is. He's a problem. Because if you're on defense, he can be a problem. But if he's on your team from Saturday, from Monday through Saturday, your phone could ring at any time and they could say anything. Well, like I know you know I've got friends like that where we know they're in a certain state of mind, and if our phone rings, that that response could be anything. They decide maybe to gamble. Out, maybe they're asleep outside a Target, <laughs> which is a story you know. It's not me, guys. Don't don't ask. But I don't. For me, and I guess like this is one of those things where we come down like, and I guess this is kind of a weird podcast because a lot of it's dealt with the transactional nature of what we ask for from sports. Is this the equivalent of them putting out unpaid children? To make them money you're playing football, I don't know. But they both make me feel pretty gross. And it is irresponsible the NFL, from what I've seen so far, the NFL and their partners, while in while engaging with Antonio Brown's back, they're do very much less likely to engage on why he's been away. So yeah, I'm not telling go ahead. I haven't like in all the coverage I've seen talking about him going to Tampa Bay. They haven't really been talking about why he wasn't playing or his behavior with, uh, what, the Raiders? I mean, yeah. 
the Raiders and the and the Patriots. Like this is man. Make sure you are okay. Yeah, we're not responsible for the players that we cheer for. Do I'm not suggesting that. Just ask some questions, man. Because this Antonio Brown thing is happening very quickly, and no one's really saying anything about it. And what sucks is that we see women in media have to be the ones to speak up, and that's not fair. That's not right. They ain't doing anything. They're doing their jobs. But part of being who they are, part of doing their jobs, is they can't ignore this shit. And anyone who can shouldn't. And that's my soapbox moment for the day. I'm going to leave with one last political thought. Andrew Yang, you gutless weirdo. He might save professional, he might get professional wrestlers unionized. And then I got to say nice things about Andrew Yang, Mike, and I'm not ready for that. (laughs) So I told you about this already, haven't I? Where they took away their Twitch accounts. Yes. And now they're like allowing, like negotiating to re-release them. But some of the wrestlers are like really agitating over, like we should unionize. They're using the UUR, which you don't actually, for the record, if you're in a group of people who want to unionize, don't say it out loud in front of the people who can hear you who would try to stop you. Just just free advice. Um, but yeah, now it's like Andrew Yang's like, we how are these, how is this okay? And like old wrestlers are getting like Batista speaking out. I'm like, hey guys, look, this is I would love for wrestlers to unionize. It's been crushed every time and it's been done so publicly. So we're gonna see what happens there. But if this results in me saying nice things about Andrew Yang, so be it. We'll be back sooner than later. Mike will be back at the very least before December 22nd to do over-unders. Yes. <laughs> yes, I will. Back to win another season. I, that's a lie. You never won. How dare you lie to my listeners like that. Thank you for coming on today, Mike. Thank you for taking the time. That is your show. There is no outro. See you guys next week.